Hello, and welcome to The Hive on KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. This is Danusha Lamaris, the current Santa Cruz Poet Laureate, and tonight I'm going to be talking with my dear friend, the poet Suber Ahmed. He, oh, and so will my husband, who will be joining us um, for the conversation. So you'll also be hearing from Armando Alcaraz. Suber was born and raised in Dhaka. Bangladesh, and emigrated here as to, to the U.S. with his family as a teenager. And, you know, I love a person with, with layers, and Subair is both a poet and an engineer. And he has a really interesting story that I hope you will enjoy hearing about. He was uh, named by Poets and Writers Magazine as one of the top debut poets of 2012, back when he was in his early 20s. He attended Stanford, studying engineering, and during that time was drawn, I think for the sake of balance, (laughs) to take some writing classes as well. And the rest, as we say, is history. He went on to uh, publish a chapbook, Ashulia, published in 2011 by Tavern Books, and also the gorgeous book, which if you don't have it, I highly recommend that you go out and get it, called City of Rivers published in the McSweeney's Poetry Series, nominated in 2013 for a California Book Award. If you want to look him up, his name is spelled Z-U-B-A-I-R, last name A-H-M-E-D. Anyway, I'm really looking forward to sharing this conversation with you, and I hope you enjoy it. Hi, this is Danusha Lamaris, and I'm here today with the poet, and my friend, Subair Ahmed. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And um, we are also here with my husband, Armando. Hi. Good to be here. <laughs> I'm wondering if you're willing to just start us in with a poem. Sure. Yeah, that would be great. Okay. So the poem I'll start with is called Three triplets. It's a small poem. Mm-hmm. I thought it would be a great way to just uh, get the conversation going. Great. So here it is. Three triplets. The first heart. It beats like this. The first eyes. They see like this. The final breath. It feels like this. Wow. There's just such a sense that the silences and the spaces in there are as important as the words. When you wrote that, was the silence part of the structure of it in a way? You're envisioning it with those spaces? Yeah, I would say so. So I know the the listeners can't see the text, um, but after the first two lines, the first heart period, it beats like this, and there's a dash, uh-huh. and then there are three ellipses, and those ellipses uh-huh. are meant to fill in for the silence that I can perform when I'm reading the poem. Yeah. And all the triplets have three ellipses as the last line. The silence is built in. Mm-hmm. Heart, eyes, and breath. It's, it's a thing that I've seen in your work as I look at it and reread it, that it, it comes back to the body in so many ways. The bones, the hands, the eyes, the breath. Can you talk about that a little bit, about that? Yeah, that's a... Resting in the body? 
That's an excellent observation. I definitely do that. Mm. I don't know where else to start. <laughs> I feel I am in this body and I'm in it all the time. Mm. All the time being as long as this body exists here. What happens beyond is stuff I talk about in my newer works. Mm-hmm. I do believe we are at our core deathless. Hmm. And then we're just here for a little bit, mm-hmm. given this body to go through this world, whether that's go through it with ups and downs and miseries, or go through it just observing, playful, strong, tackling. Go through it pretty much in impossibly complex and diverse ways that I can never <laughs> capture. The only time, the only one I can capture is my own experience, put yeah. it to words. And that's all I can do. Mm. So that's why I start in the body. And I, I, no, I, I like to notice the human body. It's quite cool. <laughs> has a <laughs> it is quite cool, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It has these crazy thumb things. Yeah, our and... hands are wild. If you really look at our hands and our arms, they are they're really crazy. wild. I can't believe it. These little five fingers, ten fingers, I guess, on both hands, uh, they can. They can do so much. It's so so dexterous. And yeah. And our breath. I mean, there's infinite things that can be said about our breath. Yeah. Our heartbeat what we leave behind the longest, which is our bones yeah. and our teeth. Yeah, the, the calcified things, mm-hmm. right? What's interesting, too, talking to you about this body stuff is that, you know, your background is actually in engineering. Yeah, it is. Right? Mm-hmm. And as you're talking, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. He didn't go into medicine or something to do with the body in addition to being a poet. Yeah. <laughs> Were you ever drawn to that or just not really? It's, I am it's just in a, a very fascinated, fascinated, I'm very fascinated by healing. So I think that's how we would, would tie to medicine. Medicine, I think in its purest format is designed to heal us permanently. Yeah. So I do deeply feel out the body on that realm. However, it's very difficult to talk about, especially in a way in which it applies to all human beings. Hmm. Because disease tends to be very specific. Somehow it's general, but still at the end of the day, very specific to the individual body that has the disease. And I have no idea how to talk about that. Right. I explore it more in the universal sense, things that are indeed common to all human beings. As far as I know, all human beings have thoughts. In a way, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, now that you're saying that we all share this, this part, so I notice also in your poem, with those silences, it's, it's kind of like, it sounds like you're also, I mean, it's, you're talking of the body, but also taking... Uh, in reading it with its silence is taking to the experience of silence that goes beyond the poem, that kind of framed by the poem in some way. In a way, like, is, is that something, is that kind of like your, I want to say, kind of like your hope, like in poetry, do you see poetry a little bit like that, like helping people open to that experience? That's a great way of seeing it. I would say that seems very spot on. I do strongly suspect that deep silence is the uniter of not only all humans, but also all species, Mm. all living things. Most likely not on this planet. I'm sure life exists outside too. Uniter of those too. I think it's a universal thing, the deep silence. Mm -hmm. And this is not something original. This is something that's been written in religious texts and scriptures and spirituality and books like that ever since we wrote. So, right. nothing original here, but something definitely ever fresh. It's never going to go out of style. It's never going to be outdated. It's always going to bring us peace. Mm-hmm. So I do hope my poetry can be a vehicle for healing. That's what it did for me. And I suspect 
it can possibly do this for others too. I don't know, but it's just a suspicion. Uh, so for you, was it the writing of poetry that became a healing process for you? Or was it something that was also when you're first exposed to poetry? I'm just curious about how poetry dropped into your life. Yeah, that's a great question. So this is a funny story, actually. So I, um, <laughs> like you noted, I studied as an engineer, and that's what I practice as my profession as well. When I was in school, I got really tired of engineering. It was like all this right answers, and you can never have wrong answers, and you're off by this much, you're off by that much. Okay. It felt very convergent and very uncreative but it's it's not uncreative mm -hmm. engineering is full of creativity but i mm. still felt constrained i felt mm. like i anything i do required validation from someone like the professor oh this is good the the engineering manager oh yeah this works poetry i need no validation from anyone <laughs> i write and that's, that's it end of story it doesn't even really matter if anybody reads it just that act of being free that's what healed me um wow. the funny story is i actually jumped into just a, I I was like you know what i'm going to take an english class <laughs> just to shake things <laughs> then up I just bit. just to shake things up yeah and yeah. i i tried to get into an english class it was i didn't know it was based on a lottery system so i didn't make it and then i was like you know what i'm going to try again Usually, you know, when a little barrier comes like that, you're just like, yeah, whatever, I'm, I'm an engineer, I'm not an English person, never I should... Never mind. Yeah, never mind, exactly. But something made me do it again. And this next time I followed the lottery system and I got into the class because I was very on top of it. I turned in everything right on time, probably was the first person to turn everything in. And I met my poetry mentor and teacher at the time, Michael McGriff, through that oh, class. He was the one was who through there. teaches the class. Yeah, That's and he great. believed in my poetry. He, I never thought anybody could believe in my writing. He really showed me a whole new world in terms of um, just watering the soil. Yeah. yeah. He thought I had fertile soil and he just put water in he it. He just put water. Yeah, and there were seeds there already and just some sun and some water. I didn't know it could get any sun. I didn't know it needed any water. Wow. So he did that and then voila. Um, <laughs> I ended up writing my book by the end of senior year. And that book was extremely healing, oh, the wow. writing of it. Because I was haunted by the war, the liberation war in Bangladesh that yeah. happened in 1971. I wasn't haunted when I was in my country because everybody normalized it. It was a normal thing. Mm. It was always around. Nobody really stepped outside of the context yeah. and the violence that it perpetrated on the Bengali people. Mm -hmm. But then I stepped out of the whole culture, right? I came to America I stepped out of the whole language. I started speaking English. I stepped out of, in a way, just everything native about me. Right. And in that stepping out, I could look back in to what was there. And I was haunted. Yeah. I was haunted for several years. It was all the images I saw of... <clears throat> Excuse me mutilated bodies and yeah. just general violence and atrocities done to human beings. Yeah. My grandparents had stories, my uncles had stories. Everybody lived through the war. It was just a couple of decades ago. They were alive. And this is just immediate family. It's so recent. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I was very haunted by that and I didn't really know what to do with that, except write poetry. Mm -hmm. And therefore my first book, a lot of people describe it as a surreal nightmare, because it is. There's and then a, lot a lot of brokenness in it, right? Definitely. And, and for people listening, the book that we're referring to is City of Rivers, mm -hmm. a book that Zubair wrote. I think it came out in 2014. 
I could sit here all night, and chances are I will. The moon lights the ocean on fire. I watch the waves repeat themselves until they become a house with soft lights and no furniture. I begin to sleep. My body is music. I will never have a home. Mm, powerful. Thank you. My body is music. I will never have a home. I can just sit with that. Before you read it, I almost asked you when you were home in Bangladesh, you know, and then I and then you read that poem. And I realized, oh, is that home, you know, is is that a question even to be asked, you know, because your sense of home, what you're describing is a very shifted sense of home mm -hmm. and place. Yeah, this book definitely came from things that need healing, but there is no medicine for it. The only medicine I could find for myself was poetry. Mm -hmm. So that's really where this book came from. And I've noticed people catch on to that as well. Like they notice the darkness of the book. Yeah. Then they also notice the light in it, which I only noticed well after this was written, well after it impacted my life, well after Interesting. the experience of letting go of something like that became real for me. That's only when I knew. Oh. In a way, in a way, you were finding kind of like the uh, like the light is in there in the poems, but in a way, when you were writing, then maybe it was a little bit like as a as a as a hope or as a like you're, you're kind of writing through the direction where you were wanting to go. I can definitely see that happening, yes. Mm -hmm. I, the writing process, because that's what that digs into a little bit, for me is very bizarre. Um, everything vanishes. The whole world disappears. And there I am with some writing medium. I'm not even there, actually. Like, there I am sounds very strange. There is just the writing material. <laughs> there is either... This book, a lot of it was written on pen and paper. So there was just a pen. Just... I didn't think I even noticed the pen. It was a... It's a very difficult to describe experience, the writing experience. And I trust it very deeply. So that trust was what I was following. I can call it urgency, but it's not really. I do know that poems come and go. But when they come, I tend to obey them. <laughs> I tend to just be mm -hmm. like, all right, you're here. Okay, let me go figure out some writing mediums so that I can capture you. Capture you, that sounds very strange. More like, let you pass through into this realm. Mm -hmm. So I just followed that. And sure enough, after this book was published and people read it, I was no longer haunted by the war. Mm -hmm. I'm not haunted anymore. It's the essence of which I'm trying to 
Explore with my works, like I was mentioning earlier, poetry as a medium for permanent healing. Wow. Not healing that you relapse back 10 years, 20 years later, or even weekly. But the relapse never happens. It's kind of permanent. Sort of Almost. Like trans- oh, sorry, go oh, ahead. Sorry. Transformation. Trans- yeah. I was going to say bloodletting. Look at the poet <laughs> going for yeah. the blood, right? <laughs> but, but to release something from yourself phys- in a physical way, almost, yeah. right? Because mm-hmm. those kinds of traumas that come from war, I think, tend to live in the mind, but also so much in the body. Absolutely. Right. Like a purification process, in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like um, <clears throat> deep cleansing, but a cleansing that really hard to do without arts i think arts in general can do this cleansing not just poetry poetry happens to be yeah what sang to me um, at the time and i obeyed the song or listened to the song with wide open ears but i think painting can do it making movies can do it but it has to come from a genuine place i think that's the only it's probably the only requirement that I can think about. I know there's another theme that goes through this, and or several that make me want to um, issue another request for a poem to be read. Let me see if I can find the one I'm thinking of. Here it is. It's just a little poem and called I Once Believed I Was a Man of Science. And since we talked about the engineering a bit, engineering and art, I wondered if you might read that one. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Yeah. So this one is called I Once Believed I Was a Man of Science. Where do you think such beliefs go after they're abandoned? The line I drew has become a horse in some other world. A gray horse, the exact shade of my grandfather's hair. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I just love, I love that. I mean, it's just such a small poem on the page, but it, covers for me such vast distances that the line becomes the horse, becomes the grandfather's hair. It just seems to have some kind of bleeding into expansion that is so profound for me. And this thing of the grandfather, the grandfather, I also noticed throughout City of Rivers. would you talk about that a little bit, too? Yeah, definitely. Um, I loved my grandfather. Mm. I really loved him, and he loved me back. Mm. And he is one of the glowing figures of my childhood. I'm very lucky. I um, I grew up surrounded by family, mm. and we live in a joint family. You know, there's people everywhere, cousins, aunties, uncles, mm. uh, Grand, grandparents, great grandparent. Great grandparent. Great grandmother was alive. Yeah, she's wow. amazing. She shows up in some of the poems as well. I, the, it's very difficult to describe that relationship, and I'm very thankful I have it. He was very encouraging. Anytime I did something, he just encouraged me, mm-hmm. and uh, he, he he just sparked a lot of enthusiasm in me and curiosity in me for this world, and I'm so grateful. I didn't also know this until I left the culture because right. I thought, oh, this is how everybody grows up because I don't know anything beyond my family at the time. Now I've met a lot of people and have been out in the world for a little bit, so I know there is practically infinite ways of living life. <laughs> right. And families even create their own language, it's been shown, so yeah. it gets, it gets <laughs> very... infinitely different, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's just from love. I He passed away um, in 2004. Oh. Uh, hold on, I'm getting the year wrong. That was the year we, we won the lottery. Sorry, wrong year. 
Oh and yeah, it was we also should, a very big year. Um, we should talk uh, about that too. Oh, whoops, yeah, just casually mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because you mentioned the lottery to get into the writing classes. Yeah. Right when you're in in college, and it made me think about that earlier lottery, which has to do with how your family came here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So just for some context, that lot that's the diversity visa lottery, the DV lottery. It's a lottery issued by the United States government in countries where the population is very underrepresented in America. Bangladesh happens to be one of those places. Uh, not very many Bangladeshi people around. Yeah. And yeah, we won that. Uh, just to clarify, I didn't win any money. A lot of people think I won millions <laughs> of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars <laughs> or something. You're like, no. No, I won no, we won no money. It's not it's that just, kind of lottery. No. Yeah. I, and I'm grateful because if we did win some lottery, I probably wouldn't be here talking about poetry. I would have had a very different life. <laughs> you yacht? Who knows? Yeah, I have no clue. I don't even dream about that. I know, I'm trying to imagine what this alternate life would be. Yeah, it probably happened in some universe, but not this one. Not this one. (laughs) In this one, you came here, and you were about how old again? Uh, I was 16 and a half when I came to the States. High school age, yeah. Yeah. That's a really, I would imagine, intense time to be uprooted and transplanted in such a different culture. And especially as you're pointing out, one that doesn't really have many Bangladeshi people. So you wouldn't have encountered a lot of people with your background. Yeah. What well, was that like? That was a crazy experience. So I technically finished high school in Bangladesh, but then I came here and nobody oh. believed me. Oh my goodness. So okay. I had to finish high school a second time. Which That's a was, nightmare. <laughs> it was actually an adventure. Okay, it good. Was like, my I was goodness. projecting. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what to expect. I was just off a very immigrant mentality, I would say. I don't really know how to say it. That's how I used to frame it to myself at the time. Yeah. It's, I have to work really hard. Yeah. Like, that was the only mindset I had. So I ended up finishing two years of high school in around four years. Uh, sorry, opposite. Four years of high school in around in two, two years. years. Yeah, I just worked a lot. And Oh, my goodness. You know, convince people that I can do this. Like, for example, economics, I... I used to love economics. I, I, I studied it very hard when I was back home, so I convinced people in my high school that I don't need to take the economics class. I can um, just just show you that I know. You tested yes. out of classes, mm-hmm. it sounds like. Yes, so I had to just patchwork it like that and just work really hard. Wow. I don't think... Th- that was probably the, the longest sustained hard work effort I've done in my life. It was for those two years... Um, yeah, I like to tell my friends that I averaged like around two and a half hours of sleep a night. I really didn't sleep Seriously? very much. Mm-hmm. I slept very little. I was always constantly working, just studying for my classes. I cut out pretty much everything. I didn't really hang out that much. I did hang out. I had a lot of fascinating religious conversations because I ended up in small town Texas. Um, so I had a lot of Oh my goodness, that's what context. I was going to ask. Yeah. Where were you in Texas? Let's yeah, in get specific. Duncanville, 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 Texas. Yeah, great town. Oh, Very my small goodness. though, like about 8,000 people. And I loved it. I really fell in love with English in high school, actually. That was the main love for English. I had a teacher, Mrs. Talbot. Shout out to Mrs. Talbot if you're hearing this, probably not. <laughs> Hi, Mrs. Talbot. Hello. She was the best English teacher I could have ever imagined she she loved it i would go to school really early like 5 a.m or 5 30 a.m and she would be there early too and what? we would be the only two people in the whole school and i would be studying she called me a knowledge sponge and i think that's pretty Aww. accurate I, and she loved that you were soaking things up and yeah so she was I, there it was just too much fun like i had a lot of fun i didn't sleep very much but i didn't even notice people were worried like there was this one day where i ate just a just a packet of Kit Kat for two, three days. And that's all I had because I was one just, packet just one, one packet of Kit Kat. No, just one <laughs> packet of Kit Kat. Yeah. It was very random. And for people listening, <laughs> this is Danusha on the Hive Poetry Collective talking with Zubair Ahmed, um, poet, engineer, uh, 5 a.m. high school attendee. <laughs> I don't know. So many things. <laughs> so many things. And um, we will be right back after a short break.
So if you've been listening and would like to get in touch with us, you can go to our blog at www.hivepoetry.org. Again, that's www.hivepoetry.org. And you can also check out our Facebook page, which is the Hive Poetry Collective on KSQD Radio. That is the name of our Facebook group if you'd like to join us and listen to shows on there. There are links so that you can listen to the shows or re-listen or share them with a friend. Uh, we encourage you to get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. In Mesno Poetry News, coming up in October, Poetry Santa Cruz will be hosting the poet Lola Haskins, who's always a delight to see. She's flying out from the East Coast and will be here to give a reading and teach a workshop. The reading will be with local poet David Sullivan, also a delight to see, and it will be Tuesday, October 8th at 7.30 p.m. at the Felix Culpa Gallery. So not at Bookshop this time, but over at Felix Culpa, which is another great space to hear poetry, and that will again be Tuesday, October 8th at 7.30 p.m. The following day, October 9th, a Wednesday, Lola will be offering an afternoon workshop, which I believe she did the last time she came through town as well. It's $50 and limited to 10 people. It may be full by the time you hear this, but perhaps there's a wait list. If you're interested, you can go ahead and email Dane Servine, D-A-N-E-C-E-R-V-I-N-E at cruzio.com. So again, if you are interested, email Dane Servine, C-E-R-V-I-N-E, at cruzio.com to enroll. And if you didn't catch that, just go ahead and shoot us a message. You can look at how to reach us on our blog, again, at www.hivepoetry.org. Collective, and you are listening to me, Danusha Lamaris, here with the poet Zubair Ahmed, and also my husband is on deck, Armando Alcaraz. Hi. Hello. Hi. And you have another poem lined up to share with us? Yeah, for sure. So this poem is part of my newer works, and that newer works, that makes it sound like I guide my work, um... I don't. I tend to just speak from the moment, and then I think my works is just collections of moments. Um, so I never know where it's going to go. But this is something more recent. Um, very specifically, I wrote this June 23rd, 2019 at 1.06 p.m. Oh, that is specific. <laughs> very, very precise. It's because <laughs> I keep a notebook and it tells me when I wrote it. I love it's, that. It's, it's interesting because I like to keep track of the chronology, see how things are happening. So that's, that's, that's why that specificity. This poem is called Sentences That Begin Without Capitalization. What will you do to me if I leave you exposed? Underneath layers of words, acts, aspirations, mishaps, traumas, celebrations, songs, stories, relations, I see you fabricating delusions. Will you accept freedom when shown toward it? In your most vulnerable, I visit with nails, whiskey, coffins, pills, media, clothes, shows, confessions, dishes, couches, wheels spinning on torn axles. Does this approach satisfy you? Is it not the daily withholdings and tribulations? The energy that breathes life into this body, mine, yours, belongs to no one. No belonging exists 
Does this scare you? I was trapped like you, thrown about by winds blown from human mouths, ripped into small, unseeable strings. I was strapped like you to the electric chair of society, on the tall pole whose heights obscure. I was held within walls of memories in dire condition, as thirsty as a delta dry for uncountable moons. No telling who will free us if we don't ourselves. What does freedom mean? What is it to live perfectly unconditioned? I tell you, the birds know, the flowers and raccoons know, the horses and bisons know, and all that's alive knows, as us, we too know, but only once we've glimpsed it, the deep river soaking us even now. Before birth, before life, before words, the design laid itself by itself to serve no one but itself. This essence, what is it? Can I name it for you? Reveal it to you? What I'm saying cannot be said. So, in great despair, I leave you. Thank you. And for those of you tuning in, that was Zubair Ahmed reading us one of his recent poems. Thank you for that. It's such a funny job to talk about poems when they create so much silence. Yeah, it's true. You know, particularly these poems of yours are creating these kind of deep wells. And is that your experience when you make the poem as well? That you're sitting in that place? Yeah, this is what I was trying to communicate earlier. I think a deep well is a really good way of imagining it. There is perfect silence when the poem arrives. Hmm. And then once I read the poem again, the silence just comes back. It actually never leaves. Mm -hmm. So my general day-to-day -day experience tends to be very quiet. Um, I don't really have, even though I appear to be doing lots of things because I like to have hobbies, mm -hmm. I don't have very many thoughts. If I were to put a number to it, I think in a whole day I have maybe on the order of 10 to 100 thoughts, depending on how much they're needed. Hmm. So they come when they're needed. I think they're a very practical tool to have. So in general, the silence that we're referring to seems to be the cauldron in which the dish is cooked, <laughs> so to speak, and the dish is the poem, maybe. Yeah, it's hard to say. The silence does a much better job at talking. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's how that poem ends, too, isn't it? The things I have... I, I'm not going to quote it exactly, I guess, without seeing it, but it's something like... Would you read it to us? The things I have to say, or yeah, what I'm saying cannot be... Yeah, that was, that was it. So, what I'm saying cannot be said. Mm -hmm. So, in great despair, I leave you.
Mm -hmm. That's the last stanza. Mm -hmm. Are those poems kind of pulled, uh, you feel, because they're kind of addressed to a you? Is that you... Is that, is that you somebody else, or is that you yourself, or is that you that your past self? Or Yeah, that's a great, great question. So I'll, I'll take a small step back to describe the you. Um, actually, it's not really any kind of steps. Um, Walt Whitman does this too. He's probably my favorite poet. I When I read him, it's electric. Um, mm -hmm. I, I own several copies of Leaves of Grass just from different bookstores because I just <laughs> like having him around even though it's the same words same book you want different versions <laughs> I just of have it. different versions some are small some are a little larger I have a really large one that I like because I open it up and it's in my face the whole face is taken oh, up oh that book. does so seem great it. yeah maybe great. I need that version too yeah I love it so I really like him he yes. very few poets speak to me like he does and he talks to you all the time and this you is the universal you mm-hmm so this is the the reader, in a sense, but also the reader who is not living in time. This reader can be 10,000 years from now, and it'll still be the same reader. So that's the you. It, um, I wondered about that, because first when my book came out, the, the City of Rivers is all about I. It's... I this, I that, and it was just me exploring this all-seeing I, that I as in like I the letter. Um, also I probably could be I, E-Y-E-I, -E the, the seer. Oh, yeah. So, but then after the book came out, I couldn't find that I as easily anymore because a lot of noise came in. People were reading, asking questions, and I just suddenly so much noise I feel like I couldn't write poetry anymore because mm. I was not alone anymore and so eventually the mm. noise that came in purified and now I can talk to it it's not really there anymore it's in a sense the world in a sense, the reader, in a sense, the wounds we carry, that's probably most accurate. I think I'm just, I'm talking about wounds that prevent us from the tremendous bliss that we really are, just this quiet, mm -hmm. So I think that's the you, but it's hard to say. I'm not really sure, because every it's just it's so different every time and 100 percent unpredictable. Well, I, I love that you're talking about the you, because I think we talk so much about the use of the I in a poem, how present the I is in the poem, and is it a universal I? So it was interesting to hear you talk about a universal you. Mm -hmm. It's just sort of turning that around, that maybe there's a you that's, and, and there is, right, as you used to, as you've used it here, that addresses the listener um, of the present, or the listener somewhere in the future. Yeah, the listener outside of time. Outside so of time. A listener without any concept of time. That's what I've noticed Walt Whitman does so well. In many of his poems, he's just talking to me. Yes. And I feel like yes. he's there talking to me. I don't... I am. I have zero doubt it's him just purely communicating with me specifically. But then he's also communicating with everybody at the same time. In that same way. There's this way. funny multiplicity and singularity that exists all at once. Isn't, that's like those paintings where the eyes seem to move and you're yeah. sure they're looking at you. It's really yeah. scary when you're a kid, yeah. those kind of paintings, right? But you're like, I know that those eyes are following me. Mm -hmm. um, but they're following anyone who passes by the painting. Mm -hmm. And it seems like what you're talking about, well, a couple, it's like there's a couple threads in there. There's the transcendence 
that goes with a voice like Whitman's um, and yours in a poem like this and in so many. Um, and also, I was going to say transcendence, but also intimacy. That's very intimate, isn't it? To have the sense that the poet is somehow across over a century just leaning in and saying, hey, super, it's like this, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. So not only the reader outside of space, sorry, time, also outside of space, because they're, it's like collapsing almost, but not really, because that, that creates imagery. This is not really an image. This is, mm-hmm. this is not really something that we're equipped in this body to comprehend. It's, it's, mm-hmm. a lot of places talk about it as a light that gives awareness of this body. Mm-hmm. And this is not light. I mean, English language is very ambiguous, which is great for poetry, but it makes it very complicated to talk about precise things sometimes, like light. Oh, There's so many concepts of light. The color is light. Oh, the sun is giving me light. Oh, the, oh you're, I'm feeling light today. There's too many meanings. So, uh, so this light is none of those lights. This light is... There we go. That was great. Silence. This light is that. <laughs> this light is that. This silence. light is that silence. So, yeah, it's like when I'm reading him, like it's like he's right there, Whitman, and for me, very few poets speak to me like that. Oftentimes, when I'm right. reading poet poetry, um, I get a glimpse, an intimate glimpse of another life, uh, and yes, that's about the end of it. It doesn't. Exp- Band, and I'm not sure if it they, it'll necessarily withstand the test of time because right. it is in time, and it's it is one in space. Life yeah. and story. It's attached to a story mm-hmm. of their experience, which may be a profound experience, but it still has more limits. It's different. Yeah, yeah. it's just it's just different. So I love those poems as well, but for some reason, the ones that I suppose in a cliche way you can call timeless. Um, it, it does sound cliche because it's thrown around so much and I don't necessarily enjoy cliches. Right. Um, but it really is. It's timeless. Like, it doesn't matter what being reads it when or where. Right. It's entirely contextless in that sense. So... Have you, since immersing yourself this deeply in poetry, gone back and read uh, Bangladeshi poets? That's been one of the things I've been really processing for the last couple of years. <laughs> so just full disclosure, I'm actually really bad at Bengali. It was one of the subjects I failed okay. <laughs> in high school and I was a straight A student. No! Um, yeah, but then I kicked it back up and then I made it get an A. But the language is extremely complicated. It is derived from Sanskrit. Yeah. It is rich like nobody's business. It's, it's, it's wow. exceptionally powerful. It talks about, there's so much vocabulary talking about the inner world. And in English, what you say is, oh, I'm having an emotion. I'm feeling something. Mm. I'm thinking. So just to give an idea, like if you take I think, translated mm. into Bangla, it's like Amar Monehoy. Mm-hmm. And then if you translate it back into English, it becomes, uh, it happens in my mind that. Oh. Which is really different. There is a sudden dissociation from the mind. It's like, oh yeah, something's happening in my mind. Oh, I see what you're saying. And it's no longer like I. Like there's no identification with the mind. The identification is entirely taken out. And that's built into the language. And that's built into the language. (laughs) It happens in my mind. That. that. And then you talk about it. Wow. That even repeating that, it feels like such a different experience. Yeah. So it's very rich. That's what we're gonna say. Not. What are you thinking? (laughs) What's happening in your mind? (laughs) I wonder if you have another poem that you would like to read. Um, yeah, sure, I can. So here's one that's very simple, straightforward, um, talks straightforward. <laughs> I, I don't know what that means. Um, but I'll go ahead and read it. Um, it's a poem called Coasts by San Francisco. Hmm. 
like a newborn, I rest in the comfort of the Great Mother. I am so old that counting is irrelevant. I look into this world and see peace, play, and freedom. I walk in these human habitations and heal. I remain with the wounded until the wounds close. Sire, I serve no one, not even you. Being here, I sleep. I go where the wind meets my dream. Like a newborn, unaffected and soft, I be by this bay. Nothing that needs doing will be left undone. So I rest in the laps of my mother, invisible, yellow like the sun, luminous like creation. Thank you. And again, that was Zubair Ahmed reading us a new poem, a newer poem, I think, Coasts by San Francisco. And you are listening to The Hive here on K-Squid 90.7 FM. So much beauty in that, Zubair, and just that sense of being held by, for me, it, was, it felt like by the fog and by nature. Um, so lovely. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And that's the interesting thing about, I think, about poetry or, or, or music or any other art. When you're writing or writing something from a certain, from a certain place that's kind of imbued in the words, even if the words might be very simple or or the artist is like a makes a line, but it, it's coming from. It's right. imbued with yeah. that intention that's coming from that particular consciousness, and somehow, it's transmitted. That's true. <laughs> it's, it's interesting that the poet Lee Young Lee. Um, told his parents, right, that he was becoming a poet. And his parents understood poetry to be the words of enlightened masters. Hmm. So wow. they said, how can you be a poet? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because the Tao Te Ching is a book right. of 81 poems. And right. It's one of the most quiet pieces of work possible I've ever read. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's, you know, thing about Western culture, we get really focused on line breaks and how things look on the page and craft. And it seems to me there's a place for that, but then there's a place for the thing that can't be taught in an MFA program. (laughs) (laughs) I feel any attempt at poetry is poetry. So I I, I do, like, sometimes I know, like, Asian cultures, because I'm Asian, come, come from that culture. Yeah. Um, can be too restrictive. Like, like if in the kid wants to play, just let them play. Like, it doesn't matter <laughs> what the kid is going to play in. It doesn't matter if the kid just is going to become play. the Buddha. That's one of the things I felt lifted from me when I came to this culture. Uh-huh. Like, no restrictions. You can do whatever you want. It's, some people take it too far. Some people don't. It's you know, you do what you do with it. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's not. Freedom. I definitely freedom. freedom. Exactly. There is general freedom in America, as I like to say it, which is excellent. A lot of places I've personally been in don't have general freedom, 
there's a lot of like cultural expectations, right. family expectations, friend right. expectations, and the list continues. Um, full of expectations. You have to be like this, look like this, act like this. You're not like that. Why? Why are you stepping out of line? Like the the rules are more prescribed in so many cultures. Yep, yep. Of how to behave. Right? And the cloak of convention is so heavy. Yeah, it it feels a little suffocating. So, I definitely mm. feel, especially with poetry, like people should just write. Like it doesn't matter if anybody ever reads it. It actually it doesn't even. I haven't read anything. I I don't read my poetry. Like I only read it later, much later. <laughs> That's if I'm curious. So it's, it's it's. I think the act of the writing is the gift of poetry itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just the act of writing. Um, I'd love to have you read one more, maybe shorter poem for us on the sure. way out. Um, I know I've always loved the poem Ashulia. Am I saying that right? Yep, definitely. Okay, I'd love to hear this one. Right, is that an, mm-hmm. right, one you'd like to read? or? Yeah, definitely. Okay. It'd be a pleasure. Okay. Okay, so this is a poem from my book, City of Rivers. Um It's called Ashulia. For seven years, my father drove me to Ashulia every evening to watch the sunset. Back then, Ashulia was nothing. A long stretch of dirt road cutting through a wide river which passed us on both sides like someone lost within us. I remember his gray hair, his missing teeth and spotted skin. His laughter gave birth to the softness of my skull and the uneven beating of my heart. He told me to fold a muslin sari, throw it into the river, and watch it float away. I asked him about God, under which rock he hides his mansion. He told me he found God on the corner of his cigarette. Twenty years later, his body floated through all 214 rivers of Bangladesh. I'm so grateful that you were willing to sit with us for this hour. You know, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. Really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Thank you again. Yeah, thank you also, Armando. It was such a pleasure. Yeah, real real honor. Coming soon, Poetry Aloud, a workshop for poets in how to read, recite our work in front of an audience. This workshop is going to be taught by Susan Jane Harrison, another dear friend of mine who's also a very fine actress who teaches at Berkeley Repertory Theatre and attended the Academy of Dramatic Art in London. She will be coming to Santa Cruz Saturday, November 2nd from 11 to 2. Uh, to teach a workshop in how to recite our work, working with the breath and other aspects. The cost is $75, location announced when you sign up, and you can look her up at www.susanjaneharrison2rs.com. Be-